So this morning we're going to be taking a look at this encounter that Jesus had with a tax collector. And this is where, uh, in most churches, the pastor would then crack a joke about uh, IRS, about the IRS, about tax collectors. Except we live in a town where the IRS employs 2,000 people here, um, including some of you. So we love the IRS. We love our, uh, you folks who work diligently for our government to, um, <laughs> to do that. I mean, if I were to make a joke, I might say something like, uh, one night there was a, a man in a dark alley, jumped out with a ski mask, pointed a gun at another man and said, give me all your money. The man was indignant. He said, do you know who I am? I'm a federal agent. I'm a high-ranking IRS officer. You'll never get away with this. He said, oh, really? In that case, give me all my money. <laughs> get it? I won't do that. We love, we love IRS workers. Um, death and taxes are inevitable, of course. Of course, death doesn't repeat itself over and over. You, you know, but, but, you know, those are things that are realities of, of uh, the world we live in. And actually, this is a different type of a tax collector. I want to explore that. It's not the uh, IRS agent in Zacchaeus. It's actually not a good analogy. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But we're finishing out our series from the Gospel of Luke, considering the idea of generosity and whole life generosity. And this is, um, this is a theme. Generosity is a theme in Scripture that is very pervasive. And really, as we think about it, it's really, it's really just the theme of grace. Generosity and grace, it's all about giving away, giving of yourself, without any real expectation of getting something in return, without any concern for getting something in return. And so generosity is just abundant grace that you extend, not thinking that it's going to necessarily come back to you. And we've talked about different currencies of generosity. That if, we're, if we think of generosity as a whole life type of thing, there's different currencies you can be generous with. There's your time you can be generous with. There's your money. There is your hospitality. There is forgiveness. There's, there's all kinds of ways that we can be generous with our lives and all these different currency. The, the currency today that I want to focus on is the currency of power. How do I use my power my status, my influence in life, how do I use that generously? How can I be giving in that way? And you might say right off the bat, you might say, well, I'm not really a person of power or of influence. But I challenge you to reconsider that. Because you probably have more power and influence than you think. I mean, certainly if you are a, a boss or a manager at work and you have people under your authority, you certainly have influence there. If you are a parent and you have children, you certainly have influence and power over your children. But even if, even anybody you interact with, every day you're going to be crossing paths with people who, as you interact with them and as you, you have a certain, you have a certain amount of influence just by nature of being a neighbor, by being a coworker, by being a family member. There's all different ways that you can influence others. You may not, influence might be a better word than power. But it's, this, it's the same idea here. It, it's, it's right in the same lines. I've been using this benediction the last few weeks, for those of you who have been here. It was a benediction that was uh, originally attributed to uh, Richard Halverson, who was a pastor. He was a Senate chaplain at one point in his ministry career, and he'd pastored some, uh, some big churches. But he, the, the benediction goes like this. He says, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you. 
Wherever you are, God has placed you there. He has a purpose in your being there. Jesus Christ, who lives in you, has something he wants to do through you, wherever you are. Believe this, and he would say, go in the grace and the love and the power of God. So the idea is that wherever you are, you have influence, and God wants to use you as an influencer where you are. And so we're going to use we're going to look at Zacchaeus and his encounter with Jesus and his encounter with Jesus transformed almost instantly transforms the way that he used his authority and the way that he used his wealth and the way that he used his he used his status. And if you ever wondered can anybody ever change? Do people actually change? This is evidence absolutely yes. People can change. And if Jesus can change a guy like Zacchaeus, he could certainly change someone like you or someone like me. <clears throat> Let's pray as we approach God's word together. Father God, on this day where we enter into a week of thanksgiving, where we consider your goodness and your many blessings in our lives, the greatest blessing of all is your very presence with us. The presence of your Holy Spirit living in us. And right now, Lord, we pray that we would just experience that and know it and that your spirit would teach us as we look at your word, and that you would transform our hearts to be obedient to you. Lord, this is your time, and we are very grateful for it. We give it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So I want to look at this in three parts. I want to look at Zacchaeus before Jesus. I want to look at his encounter with Jesus, and look at the result of this encounter with Jesus. First thing, Zacchaeus before Jesus. This is... Uh, this is a person who used his status, his authority, to get ahead. He was a tax collector in Rome. And the way it worked, he was a Jewish man, and he was an agent of Rome. The, the, the Jews were under Roman authority, and he, they had to pay a certain amount of taxes. And the way a tax collector would make his living would be to collect the taxes, and any extra taxes were his. And it was not a tax code like our IRS, where there was a certain formula and you would just pay according to a formula, even if it's a complex kind of a formula. The, it was much more about collecting money from people out of fear and intimidation. Rome is going to get you. Rome is going to shut down your business. Rome is going to hurt your family. And I can protect you. We just need more money. This is protection money. This is less like a tax collector and more like, more like the mafia. It's shakedown money. And this is, so this is more of a story of a mobster who would come to faith in Jesus. And he was hated, not just because he was short. And when I was a kid, I used to think that. I, when I went to Sunday school, they taught me about Zacchaeus, this wee little man named Zacchaeus. And we, we, we felt bad for Zacchaeus because he was short. You know, those people wouldn't let him through the crowd. And, you know, the poor little guy... You know, nobody, nobody was nice to the short guy. That's not what's going on here. And I double-checked. I did research. I was trying to answer the question this week. Was there some sort of greater theological or spiritual meaning to being short in the, in the ancient Near East or first century in Jesus' day? It, was it that you were somehow cursed by God because you were short or you were somehow, it was some other meaning to it? I, I, so my result of my research is, Inconclusive. I don't know. I, it seems that he was just happened to be very short. But he was hated. 
because he's part of this corrupt system that rips off his own people, his own flesh and blood, his tribe, for an oppressive foreign nation. And they, they, he was wealthy, he was successful, but they called him a sinner. The people knew it. And so he's got this reputation. And he's not just caught up in a corrupt system. This is the way it works, and he's just caught up in it. He's a chief tax collector. So he, is, he has staff underneath him. He has tax collectors who are below him. He's perpetuating this system. And he's become very wealthy off it. And it makes us stop for a minute and ask the question, you know, in any system... In any government, in any market, in any part of the world, what's to stop people from being corrupt? What's to stop people from being selfish? It almost seems that selfishness is more the rule. If you could cut a corner or get ahead of somebody, if you're in a place where there isn't the same rule of law that we enjoy in our nation and the checks and balances that we have, you could totally abuse power. If you've got the authority, if you've got the money, you could control people, you can control property. My point is, is that groups of people just in the world, they don't tend to drift towards righteousness and justice and equality. That's, that's something you actually have to fight towards. You have to fight upstream to find those things. And I just watched a, uh, a documentary this week that was depicting the, the whole Enron scandal of the early 2000s. And to think about, this is in a place that was you know, in a regulated market where people still, because of pride and arrogance and a desire to control stock prices and, and make more money and to have a name for yourself, to just continue to, to, to lie and to cheat and to manipulate things just to get ahead. And people lost their, their whole life savings. And pe some people even lost their lives over this. And it was, it was a terrible, a terrible thing. I watched this documentary. It made me sick. But that's sort, of the, that's sort of what will happen if just on our own, people just use the power, their power and authority however they want. So law is important, common sense regulations. Those things are important. But the, question, the important question for us as individuals is, how are you going to use your authority and your power? Whatever influence and interactions you'll have tomorrow as you, as you go about your day, what is that going to look like, and, and why? Why would you seek to use your influence in life in, in a positive way? Why would you be generous with your power? Why would you give it away? Why would you give away your wealth? What is the foundation? But here we have Zacchaeus. He doesn't have any foundation. He's just doing it for himself. But he has an interaction, an encounter with Jesus. And this changes everything. Let's take a look at it. Now, for Zacchaeus to have this encounter with Jesus, he can't rely on his status or his power or his authority. He actually has to put that aside. He had to even become sort of undignified. He had to, the scripture says here, he had to run and he had to climb a tree. A grown man in Zacchaeus' day would not run. It, you wouldn't hike up your tunic and just run down the street or go for a jog. A servant would, a slave would run for the master. A child would run as they were playing, but a grown man certainly wouldn't run. And you, you definitely wouldn't climb a tree. It's just, it, it's, it's just very undignified. Even today, I mean, if I, if I were to go out and just start kind of climbing trees around, people, they would, it is just, and I love to do that, and I, I do on occasion, but I don't go to a funeral, and I, I'm in a, you know, 
Spring Grove Cemetery, very beautiful, nice trees, and I do a committal service for a family, and they're there around the grave, and I see a nice tree. It's a beautiful day, and I just decide I'm in my suit. You know what? I can climb it in these shoes, and I just go for it. I climb the tree. That, that would be ridiculous. Why is the pastor climbing the tree in the cemetery? You just don't. And there's just certain things that this, this, this Friday, we sometimes refer to as Black Friday, adults, grown adults, will sleep on sidewalks in front of retail stores. They will push each other out of the way to get toys and gadgets that they probably don't need anyway. The day after, they've just spent the whole day celebrating all the things that they do have. And they do, and they, they will push one another. This is, uh, this, again, this is undignified. You see it on the news and you look at it and you say, how do people do this? Now here we got a man, this powerful, wealthy tax collector who has to climb up a tree. He's got to get, he really has to get past the crowd. And I thought about this too. Why wouldn't they just let him in? If you're, if you are a short person and there's tall people around you, if you're a tall person, it's no big deal to let a short person in front of you because you're tall and they're short. Like, Kate, you're, you're very tall, Ken, right? You, you just let them in because you can see over their head. You're at a parade or something. And if you're a tall person, you tend to, when you're standing in front of short people, you feel bad. Like, oh, I'm, I gotta duck down because these people behind me can't see and you work your way backwards. And I don't know what the customs were. I don't know what was polite. Again, I actually tried to research this. Is it, was it polite at a parade or a famous person around to sort of let somebody shorter than you stand in front of you? But the point is, they didn't let him through. He had to climb this tree. Maybe there's some desperation. Maybe there was something in him that wanted to see Jesus or wanted to connect with Jesus. But um, even if it's just curiosity, but it really doesn't matter. Whatever inclination his heart had toward Jesus, Jesus knew Zacchaeus. Jesus found Zacchaeus. Jesus calls out of the blue. He calls him by name. And this still happens to people today. And I hear stories about this all the time. Somebody is just curious about Christianity or they're curious about the free Christian church. So they come with a family member or they come with a friend or a neighbor, coworker. And they come to church just to look, just to see what do Christians actually do today? Haven't been to church in a long time. What do Christians look like and how do they behave? And they sit down and they start to realize that Jesus knows their name. That Jesus is calling each one by name. And they hear Jesus calling their name. That he is seeking to save you. Whatever your curiosity was, whatever your doubts and whatever you brought to the table, Jesus breaks through those things, calls out to you in the tree by name. And there's a great lesson for us in this, really a universal lesson, that in order for us to receive this salvation, in order for us to receive this invitation, Jesus makes an invitation into Zacchaeus' life, into his home, that we need to humble ourselves. We need to put aside the things that we do that give us, that give us fulfillment and status and think that we've accomplished. You know, the only way to be beyond God's grace is to believe that you don't need it. Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of Luke, he said, I have not come, it's not, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Jesus said, look, the good news, the gospel, is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Salvation is very near, and it's here in me. And the only way that you can be distant from it is to say, I don't really need it. I'm fine on my own. I can do this. I got this. And this is the difference between faith in Jesus Christ and all other faith systems and religions of the world. Virtually every other religion would, would, says that you've got to um, do it yourself. You've, you've got you've to approach God. You've got to do the ritual. You've got to follow the rule. And here, Jesus just calls out in the midst of the crowd. He initiates it. You notice the order of things. Jesus' call comes first. I'm going to come into your life, Zacchaeus. And it's a personal call. It calls him by name. It's an urgent call. He says, come down immediately. And it is a necessary call. He says, I must come to your house today. So Jesus comes to the house of the sinner. He enters into the life of the sinner. Not the other way around. A lot of times... When people think, okay, I need to connect with God or I need to find some kind of spirituality or enlightenment and they take the first step and perhaps if I do the right thing and live the right life, then God's blessing will come towards me and I will sense God's nearness as I pray or as I experience life. And that's not it. Jesus goes to the house of the sinner. Scripture says that it's while we are still sinners that Jesus Christ died for us. It's the difference between do versus done. Again, other ways of looking at the world and looking at higher powers is all about what must I do. In the Christian faith, following Jesus is about what has been done, what has been accomplished for me. That Jesus Christ has accomplished it. And here he, he comes to Zacchaeus, and he, it costs Jesus something to make this invitation. It cost him, when Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house, into his life, what does the crowd do? The crowd judges him. Look at this, he's supposed to be a prophet, now he's going to the house of the sinner. And it cost him his reputation. But Jesus, to make that same invitation to every single one of us, it cost him more than just his reputation, it cost him his very life. The crowd didn't just judge him in their words, they judged him to death. And Jesus did the one thing that we could never do, which was to offer salvation, to save us. And we need this salvation. We need... It, Jesus died and rose again, and it, he conquered death, that we cannot do that. And we need this new life. So when we approach Jesus, it's not about being better. It's not about that if I connect with Jesus, he can make me better. It's about Jesus coming into the house of my life and not just rearranging the furniture and a new coat of paint on the wall. It's a total rebuild. It's tearing it down to the studs and rebuilding a whole new thing. You become a new person. The question is, has salvation come to your house, to your life? Zacchaeus, he, when, the, when the invitation, Jesus makes the invitation into his life, he immediately comes down. He does not wait. That same invitation is for everyone here today, and I encourage you, do not wait. That even today, if you have any sense that Jesus knows you, he knows your name, where you're sitting, he knows why you're here. He knows how you got here. He knows what happened this week. Everything in, about you, he knows. And he knows your brokenness, he knows your sin. Listen, he loves you. 
And the invitation is for you. And I invite you, at the end of the service, we always have a prayer team up here. They can pray for any concerns that you have, anything that's on your heart. But you can accept that invitation that salvation could come into your house, into your life today. So just come forward and pray with them at the end of the service. But he accepts the invitation. So we have Zacchaeus before Jesus. He's just becoming very wealthy in his position. He has this encounter. And, and finally, uh, we have Zacchaeus after this encounter with Jesus. And this is clearly, certainly a changed life. He decides instead of being an agent of corruption and just getting ahead on his own, he's going to be an agent of generosity. He's going to be an agent of justice. He, he administers his own judgment. He said, look, I'm going to give half of all that I have to the poor. Now, if he, if he wanted to just follow Jesus and follow the, God's law, he would have said, here today I give 10%, because that was the Jewish law. You give 10% of all that you have to, to the work of, of God's kingdom and for the poor, you give 10%. Here he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give 50 And the law also prescribed, if you ripped somebody off, if you stole from them, you have to restore what you took, plus 20%. That was the penalty, 120%. He said, you know what, I'm going to give 400%. That his heart was far beyond any rule or law. He's not just adopting a moral code. And that's Jesus' desire for his followers. He said, look, if you want to be righteous, you're going to have a righteousness that's greater than even the Pharisees. The group of the Pharisees, they were the, they were the best rule followers. They took all the rules of God and they followed them. And they made a whole other set of rules so that they wouldn't accidentally break one of the rules. And Jesus said, you have to do even better than that. He said, the law says don't murder. I say, don't even hold hatred in your heart or anger towards somebody. That's murder in your heart. And the law says don't commit adultery. I'm going to say even more. Don't even think lustfully towards somebody. That's adultery in your heart. You know, the law says to tithe. Jesus called some people to just give everything away. That it's not about following rules, but it's a heart that is now changed and transformed by the love of God in an encounter with Jesus Christ that causes this, a life that will just be generous in all these different ways and faithful and obedient in all these ways. Again, it's about a changed heart. Now, it doesn't always happen, certainly in my experience, it doesn't always happen as fast as Zacchaeus. I mean, Zacchaeus, immediately, his heart is changed, and we see this. I, I feel for many people it's much more of a process of understanding what Jesus Christ did, understanding that he knows me by name, that he's given me an invitation to save my life and transform me from the inside out, and that will impact how we interact with other people. So I ask the question again, how will you use your power, your influence? How will you use that generously? Your influence, your money, your authority. I have a friend I was talking to, and uh, she was describing her work, and she, she's in a position of influence in her place of work, and, and, and she's very successful. And oftentimes, people will ask her, how do you get so much done? How come people respond so well to you? And she said, well, look, I, I, this is how I do it. Whenever I write an email to somebody, I read it twice, and I make sure that the way I'm asking Somebody to do something is a way that I want to be asked to do something. And to remind them that I value their contribution and just to be kind in that. And I also know that when we're working together, we're on a team, we're not just trying to produce an outcome, but we're all humans. And we all come here to do this work 
and we have a lot of stuff in our lives, and I try to get to know people a little bit more personally and care about them as individuals. And, and again, show kindness and just respect that the way that you stop and talk to people and that we can work together on a team so that when they get a message from me, they know I'm the boss, they're not, but, but they feel more than that, that I'm not just telling them what to do, but I'm encouraging them to be part of what we're doing. That's how she describes it. And then people will often ask her, well, where'd you learn that? How'd you figure that out? That's brilliant. And when she's asked that, she says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me, who knows me by name. Every single, and I don't know what your workplace looks like or what opportunities you have to, to live that kind of life, but we can all be agents of forgiveness. I mean, you're going to gather with your families this week, perhaps. Um, forgiveness often is a, a, a currency of generosity that we can extend even around a table to put aside differences, past hurts, tensions, wh whatever it is, it's, it's a matter of, of getting up tomorrow and saying, God, what, how do you want me to use what I have today in light of what you have done for me? Here's the, here's the conclusion of it all. This is the best way to wrap this up. Verse 10. Jesus said, the Son of Man, he's describing himself, he said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This was his mission to come and do this, to come and to save individual lives, lives that he knew by name, lives that he gave his life on behalf of. In a true encounter with Jesus, like that is going to transform the way that you think about everything else. So I can use my power not just for myself, but for others. That Jesus gave up his power and authority to serve me, and I can give up mine to serve others. And the beauty of that message is, is that this good news is for everyone. It's for wealthy people like Zacchaeus, and it's for very poor beggars like Bartimaeus, who's from the same town of Jericho. It was for both of them. It was for moral people, a Pharisee like Nicodemus, it, and it was for immoral people like the woman who Jesus met at the well. It was for powerful people like the centurion soldier, and it was for weak people like the little children who Jesus said, do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these little children. It was good news for men, and it was good news for women, where in, a, in a world where many of the religious activities were, were strictly just for men. This is for, it didn't matter, uh, your male, female, young, old, powerful, rich, poor, sick, or healthy. This was for everybody, because everybody stands on the same footing. Sinners needing to be saved by Jesus. And Jesus came to seek and save all that which was lost. And apart from that, and until you realize that that's you, that Jesus, that you're in the tree, and Jesus is calling your name, you'll never find it. Until you realize that you cannot achieve it all on your own, you cannot work your way to this beautiful relationship with God, that he has to invite himself into your life, you will never receive that invitation. But when we do receive it, the radical encounter transforms us from the inside out, and we can live lives that are generous with our whole lives. Amen.